Okay, welcome to another exciting episode of Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Ulrich, and it would not be a true internet podcast if we did not have technical problems to start. I apologize, we're about 10 minutes late on this. Uh, but we're going to try and fit in your full hour, because I know you just want to listen to my voice and Sean's voice for another hour. So, um, let me go ahead and introduce my sidekick here, Sean Williams. How you doing, Sean? Doing good, man. It's been a busy, busy day. Uh, we uh, we hope we haven't lost too many people from off of high perches, perches that they flung themselves off of following Sunday's uh, punch to the gut that we got uh, in the Superdome. But you know, we're gonna survive this. It's uh, it's not all doom and gloom, and I believe that uh, if you want to look. At the uh, the positive side of things, we're gonna we're gonna move forward from this, and we're gonna be a better ball team because of it. Did, uh, uh, real quick, did, isn't it amazing now that starting with Sunday, how all last week and even Saturday night when we were talking about this, you know, it was the offensive line. Oh my God, we need guards. Oh my God, Drew Brees is get killed. We can't stop Khalil Mack. You know, he's gonna get beat up, he's going to get injured, he'll be out for the year. That's gone now. Now it's all about the defense. Oh, my God, how the hell are we going to cover anybody? We gave up 22 points in the fourth quarter. Oh, my God, we can't rush the passer. All the stuff that we had before, and then Jeff Duncan came out and said, we're right back where we started last year, number one offense, 31st-ranked defense. So, you know, it's amazing. Uh, Funny how it it works that way, isn't it? Oh, it's just a pendulum swings back and forth, back and yeah. forth. We're either zero and sixteen or going to be sixteen and zero. There's no in between anymore. So, well, you know, uh, the the NFL season is by no means a sprint. It is most definitely, if anything, a marathon that seventeen long weeks. And you know. There's certain realities that go along with an opening day loss, which means basically unless you reel off about four to six real quick back-to-back wins, you're going to be uh, you're going to be fighting from behind the eight ball for a little while now, and you know that that's part of the 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 paradigm that's left now that we're zero and one. Okay, so uh, it's time for the New York Giants. Right. Right. You know, uh, uh, oh, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I know the breaking news today was the release of C.J. Spiller, and it was a total surprise for almost everybody, uh, especially because you thought, at least what you saw in preseason, you saw a very healthy C.J. Spiller. You saw a little bit of the moves. You saw the cuts. Uh, He even had, uh, Peyton even had him returning some kicks, and with a uh, 16, when did I think it was $16 million salary, a $7 million uh, hit we just took this year, uh, added to already $33 million we had dead money. So we're looking at $40 million in dead money now because of this cut. Uh, it's got people just totally flabbergasted. They can't believe we did this. You know, I saw a post just a little while ago, and it said that uh, all told, by the end of the the uh, the business arrangement, if you want to call it that, <laughs> uh, we will have paid C.J. Spiller nine million dollars for one hundred and ninety eight snaps, and I yeah. just could not resist. I got the calculator out. Would you like to take a guess at how much C.J. Spiller was paid? For each snap that he played as a New Orleans Saints player, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a stab in the dark and say forty five thousand dollars. Well, you're an accountant. That's not fair. Forty. No, I'm not an accountant. If I do purchasing, I'm not an accountant. I have too much personality. Forty five thousand four hundred. Wait a minute. Forty five thousand four hundred fifty four dollars and fifty five cents for every play that C.J. Spiller was on the field wearing a New Orleans Saints uniform in the season, not during preseason, for $45,454.55 for every play. 
Can someone yeah. please sign me up? I'm old. <laughs> I'm brittle. I'll give you one good play. Please. I, I just... Uh, uh, I think well, that the, it, the overriding theme here, it's not that, oh, God, it's another bus. It, it's, it's the ineptitude that this seems to point at. And, you know, I'm uh, I'm all... Uh, all organization. Um, I believe in Sean Payton. I, I have a lot of faith in the guy uh, as a coach, a, as a leader. But this just these un, the undertones of these things just over and over and more and more. Uh, it's eating away at that. Well, for lack of a better word, that belief system in the system. This, this is tearing it down bit by bit by bit. You know, uh, water doesn't wash away concrete all at one time. It takes it just a, a piece here and a piece there. But eventually that water washes that bridge out, you know. Well, here, when we're going to go back and look at these years, um, the Sean Payton, whenever that ends, and the Drew Brees era, whenever that ends. When we go back and look, we're going to sit there and say the 2014 and 2015 off-seasons were the worst in Saints history, at least for this this group, this era, okay? Uh, obviously, we've had worse seasons in the Meekham years or whatever, but if you look at what the moves we made in 2014 in that off-season and the moves we made in the off-season in 2015, that's where you see it all fall apart. And I think the 2016 offseason is trying to get it all back. Okay? Yeah. 2014, what did we do? We let Roman Harper go. We let Malcolm Jenkins sign as a free agent to Philadelphia. We bring in Jarius Bird. We trade away uh, Sproles. Okay? All right. We paid Jimmy Graham. And we paid Junior Gallette, both of them $25 million, uh, more than $25 million. I think it was $25 million a year. But we, post, we both paid them big, big contracts. I don't have that contract breakdown in front of me here. Okay. I don't either. 2015 now comes around. 2014 was a horrible season. We found out the real Junior Gallette, once he got paid his money, he gets in a fight in the locker room. He's a distraction. He says stupid crap to an interviewer where he says, you know, he and uh, Cam Jordan are just as good, if not better, than Will Smith and, uh, you know, all the past rushers of the past. Uh, they've got more talent on this team than, you know, the 2009 team has. You know, uh, Curtis Lofton's a better middle linebacker than Jonathan Vilma. And, you know, Vilma comes out and tweets, you know, you don't say these kind of things. Uh, we find out Gillette's an idiot. Okay, then the off-season stuff with the belt incident and all the other things happen. All right? 2015 rolls around. We trade Graham. We cut Gillette. So we take a huge cap hit for that. Yeah. Bird was hurt in 2014. Begins the 2015 off-season. Hurt again. You know, we're starting to see. And then we go and sign Spiller. We sign Brandon Browner. You know, we bring in players that, for whatever reason, do not fit in with the kind of culture that Sean Payton and uh, Drew Brees and Mickey Loomis wanted to establish back in 2006. We're not getting the team-first kind of players. We're getting more of the me-first kind of players, okay? And I think that's what you're seeing happening right now. Sean Payton has decided, you know what? I don't care how much it costs. We've got to get rid of anybody who is not buying into the program. And for whatever reason, you know, Spiller did not buy into the program, apparently. I don't know if he felt he was milking the injury from last year. I don't know. I, I don't claim to have access to the locker room and the sure. mindset of people. Sure. But I think the, obvious. The, I think that well, the first ahead. indication that there was something – that was not quite right. As you alluded to earlier, the preseason, Spiller looked good. He looked healthy. He looked solid. And then you got a huge game one against a 
very likely uh, playoff contender from the AFC against the Raiders, and he's left on the inactive list. Mm-hmm. That that well, made absolutely no sense. Of course, now it's easy. It's really, really easy now to look back on a, a couple of days it, as looking at it through the eyes of what we saw this afternoon and say that, well, hey, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's why that – but uh, there, I, as you and I were talking about off air, I believe that one day in the future we'll be able to look back at this whole thing and see that there was a lot more than what, as as you keep saying, um, we're not in the locker room. We don't, and I feel the exact same way as you do. I don't, I don't ever try to put myself over as uh, an insider. Uh, that being said, I, I'm not privy to locker room conversations, uh, pressers, stuff like that. What I see, and is basically that it's what i see what i hear uh and that being said there's just something that from this this whole thing that doesn't quite seem to come together right and i think that we're going to find out sometime in the future that there was a lot more to this story than what and to that end i respect sean payton for not airing dirty laundry well, you never. I don't think we're ever going to really find out the true story behind anything, uh, unless you corner, you know, somebody who works the Saints beat, and uh, you know, years and years later, you might find out. Hell, sure. we still really don't know the. We know about kind of what happened with Joe Horn and Joe Johnson and Willie Rose's wife and a whole bit, but most of it is hearsay, and most of it is you know guessing, but. We never actually heard from the principal players what what was yeah. going on, and I don't think we ever will as a fan unless somebody. And I don't think that we that. need to. No, but what, I, I don't think what I'm saying. I understand what you're saying. I, I think that the way that we feel about those guys, I I think to preserve that, whatever happens should be left there. If well, that makes any sense. You know, it, it, the first question is: Was this a football-related move? Um, I would say it's a football-related move only from the standpoint of, and this is not to say that Murphy and Cadet are as good a player as a healthy Spiller should be. Okay, but for this for this team and the kind of people that Peyton wants in this locker room, for whatever reason, this is his mindset. He would rather have Cadet and Murphy on the team than Spiller. And I, I posited this question elsewhere, and this is, this is what you have to look at. $40 million in dead cap money, okay? That really makes up four players that make up yeah. $40 million in dead cap money. Junior Gallette's still on the books for one – this is the last year he's on the books. So you got Junior Gallette around $22 million, I think. Then you've got Brandon Browner, Keenan Lewis, and C.J. Spiller now making up the bulk of the rest. That that was their money that all accelerated into this cap, okay? Uh, excuse the, me, Alan. Yeah. Is, Jar, is Jari – are we still on the hook for Jari? Yes. We on the like, on the books now. In the cap-related stuff, I mean, if we look at things in terms of this is the money you've had, you've already spent. It's like a credit card statement, okay? This is okay. money already spent that you have to pay on. You know, we haven't added new debt to it yet. This is a bill you still have to pay. Now, they're not paying Jari Evans for his old contract, but yeah. they are paying the cap figure. Jari Evans' contract because Jari Evans would not take a pay cut. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he is also part of it too. But the big four, the big four on there are Gallette, Browner, uh, Lewis, and now Spiller. Four guys who are not on the team anymore that you're paying for. All right. And my question is are the Saints better off a team without those four guys? In my opinion, yes, they are, especially with Brown and Gillette, okay? Well, I look at it Lewis, like this. 
with Browner and Colette, you had problems from the locker room all the way out. Well, you had problems on the field. Okay. You had problems on the field. And and with Spiller and Lewis, you're looking at guys that, you know, regardless of whether you're paying them or not, they're not on the field. So They're not producing for you. They're not producing for you at the, what you're paying them. Are you getting, you know, four and a half to five million? Because I think it's how much he was making, 5.1 million, something like that. Are you getting four and a half to 5.1 million out of Spiller, even if he's active? If he's out there for... 15, 20 snaps, okay? And the average offense, well, Saints offense, will run anywhere from 50 to 65 plays, depending on how the game runs, okay? Yeah. Spill is out there for 15 to 20 snaps. Are you getting 15 to 20 snaps worth out of a C.J. Spiller? Is he a game breaker? Is he going to do what we saw Brandon Cooks do? Is he even going to do what we saw Darren Sproles do? In my opinion, he's not going to. He will never do that again. For for my uh, for my part in it all, I said a year ago, and you can ask anyone that knows me. I said a year ago that Spiller should have been cut in the off season, no matter what it cost, because looking back last year, you take away one overtime play against Dallas. And he made no contribution, no sizable or it, meaningful it was a, contribution to this yeah, team. It was, a, it was a mystery why he wasn't out there more. And my answer to that was, well, let's see what he did when he was out there. Yeah. He dropped passes over the middle. And if he ran a pitch play or a stretch play with him, he was always heading to the sideline. Now, granted, he may have still been injured. We don't know. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not his team, the team doctor. I'm not his personal doctor. So I have no idea how he recovers from his injury. But yeah. we did not see that explosive spiller you saw in Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. We have not seen that explosive player in, in Jerry's bird that you saw in Buffalo. The, I think the only reason why I'm, he's still on the team is I'm, I'm willing to cut, too huge. I, I'm willing to cut birds some, some slack because there's two, there's one mate, and I, I didn't really think about this until my buddy Sean Fox on ESPN 97.7 today pointed it out, and I never really gave it much thought until he said it. With Bert, the difference between Bird in Buffalo and Bird in New Orleans is one major difference, and that is in Buffalo, you had a pass rush to where Bird was stuck out there just basically – play in center field and he has not had the benefit of that in new orleans to this point now well do i think okay. he's been he's made uh 54 million dollars worth of a contribution to this defense not by any stretch at all and i do believe that come the end of this season thanks to the what you've convinced me of i uh i believe that this will probably be his final seat depending on how your your Von Bell and your Kenny Vaccaros and uh, your Eric, Eric, Harris. Eric, Harris Eric Harris develop. I, I'm I'm feeling like this will probably be the end of his run in New Orleans unless he makes a major, sizable, uh, Darren Sharper type of turnaround this year. This is based, based on what I saw in that Oakland game. He will never do that because, and we can start talking about the Oakland game now. If you watch. There's about three plays I'm really thinking of where you saw Bird blow it, okay? One of them is the Armani Cooper pass that led to the touchdown that made it 19-27, to 27, okay? We're I know exactly tw- which one you're talking about. It's It fell right in the zone. Now, the cornerback, who I think was Crawley, it could have been P.J. Williams. I have to go back and look at the tape again. But it's Crawley. It's Crawley? Okay. Yep. He lets Cooper get behind him because he's also watching for the underneath route, okay? In the zone defense, he lets him get behind him. Bird is supposed to come over and help. Bird instead stays in center field. And I watched him do this last year, too, to Brandon Browner in the Carolina game. I was at that game, and I watched him specifically, and I said, you were setting this man up to fail. 
you were setting him up to fail because your ass, I'm sorry, I, I have to calm down here. Your butt, <laughs> your butt is still sitting there in center field looking at nothing. You're watching the play, okay? Now, there is a receiver coming across who is, I think it's Nelson is his name. He's kind of, he's coming across the middle, but there's another safety right there who could have picked it up, but he sat there and stared at him while Cooper, the more dangerous one, is coming across, okay? So by the time Cooper catches his pass where he's coming behind and across from Williams, Bird is in no position to help. So it's a big play, and they get down the field, okay? That was one of his mistakes. The second mistake he made was in the 75-yard touchdown run. He's the last line of defense. That's the whole reason he's out there playing center field. And he misses a tackle, and he trips the defensive back. And then from that point on, you know, the guy's clear sailing all the way to the end zone, okay? He's not any help in run support, and he's lousy right now defending the pass. And I used to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, this is probably the scheme or whatever. But instinctively, he is slow to react to plays that develop in front of him. Yeah. And it doesn't take much time for a play to blow open with him reacting so slowly. Okay. So I call I, I, I call that the Deion Sanders mode because Deion Sanders for him to have been such a dynamic everybody holds him in such high esteem as did you ever once time see him playing in a dirty uniform? <laughs> Scared to get dirty, man. Well uh, Dion liked to play rubber dope. Out there, you know, Deion Sanders was a guy who would, he had such confidence in his speed. He would, uh, he would, he would, well, he would bait quarterbacks to throw to a guy because he knew his break on the ball was so fast. He was going to jump that route. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. And he, he hated to tackle. He did not tackle. He never did. He was terrible at run support, but he was an outstanding cover corner. So that's the difference. I mean, he's, And, you know, the greatest defensive back I ever saw in my lifetime was Mel Blunt uh, because he was a headhunter as well as a great cover guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he'd yeah. rather beat – I was going to say he'd rather beat the crap out of you than, uh, than you know, just break up a pass. He'd take you out. But yeah. that, was, uh, that was one of those once-in-a-generation units. The, well, he was, he was the bigger. The curtain. Yeah, he was bigger than most defense, most wide receivers in the era. Now the receivers are bigger than the defensive backs. I mean, yeah. and the we are, are the rules are so much different now. Yeah, yeah, you could you could jam a guy. In fact, that's why the the rules were changed in 1978. That was the Mel Blunt rule, you know, because he was so effective at shutting receivers down. They had to change the passing rule. You couldn't jam a guy all the way down the field. The old rules, you could jam a guy. From the time he left the line of scrimmage, you could jam him all the way. As long as the ball went in the air, it was not pass interference. And That's right. Blunt would come up, and he put his hands on you and jam you like that, and he'd grab you and then just throw you down and disrupt the timing of the play. And that was perfectly legal, okay? That was, yeah. a, that was a bump and run, the five-yard chuck rule. I mean, it, you just grab him and throw yeah. him to the ground. He'd let you run five yards oh, yeah. before he'd chuck you. <laughs> yep. And then he's just riding and riding and riding all the way down. And then he'd look for the ball. Then he'd come up there and he was so much bigger, you know, he would physically outmuscle the guy. And what we saw yesterday or Sunday, what happened? You put a six six foot three guy on a five ten guy who could run a four two. And that was the longest pass play in Saints history. That was an amazing play. That really was. That, I, that I, was that was Joe Theismann's favorite play. Theismann used to talk about it all the time when we had to suffer through him on Sunday Night Football. He'd always talk to about say uh, that his favorite play to run when you were backed up on your inside your five yard line was the, the go route. Sure. You know, because the defensive back had to cover the entire field, 
And he said, if that guy can get behind the defensive back, he's gone. And it's an instant score. So, and that's exactly what we saw. Man, that kid from Oakland punted the ball. They killed it at the two. Breeze brought him out in the huddle, walked up to the line of scrimmage, and I I said aloud, Drew, don't this up. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I said, I said, he took that two-step drop and turned and reared back. And I God, there's six points. Oh, and all I, was I said right. was, it was just not Oakland six. I mean. Right. Well, all I can say was I bet you Drew said in the huddle, nobody hold. You know, you're on the two-yard line. Nobody hold. Let them yeah. go if you have to. Do not hold and get a safety out of this. Okay. Um, Speaking, what's your biggest takeaway from the Oakland game? That's why I'm wearing this Pro Bowl jersey Drew wore uh, back in 2007. Um, because hey. Drew Brees showed it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Drew Brees showed at 37 years old, he can still light you up like anybody's business. He doesn't care who the defense is. You know, the biggest thing I took away from there is Drew Brees is going to be Drew Brees. Uh, Whenever he does get to be an old quarterback, whenever he does, you know, as Tom Brady said, he's going to play until he sucks. Um, whenever Drew sucks, it's going to be a long time and it's going to be sudden because yeah. you, that was vintage Drew Brees. Uh, I was blown away, uh, and I shouldn't have been, but I was really blown away by how good this receiving core is. Um, yeah. Really Sneed. I mean, he was just Jack Del Rio's personal nightmare uh, in that first I, half. I expected whenever Snead got in uh, with Thomas there now, I expected there to be somewhat of a a stale comeback for Snead to begin the season until they kind of figured out the dynamic of where these three guys were going to fit in. Uh not a bit. Sneed was Sneed. Brooke, uh, Brandon Cooks was Cooks. Uh, and I cannot tell you how blown away I was by Thomas. Uh, he froze that guy that um, I wanted. Oh, to that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Hey, they had a two-yard <laughs> pass play. It only went for two yards. But Drew threw the ball awkwardly and towards the ground. And you just saw those two hands come out and snatch that ball out of the air by Thomas. And he just pulled yeah. it in. It was only two yards, but it was that was probably the most impressive catch I saw because I can't tell you how long I sat there and told, said, this is what Coleman should be doing. This is what Nick uh, Toon should have been doing. Adrian Arrington. Every guy that has struggled in Breeze's offense um, – I said, you know, if you're going to show you're a great receiver, you have to go and grab that ball. You have that's to show right. you want that thing. And and you, you know, don't that's wait. My favorite. You don't wait halfway through the season to do that. You you go out no. on opening day and you do that dirty work. And, and, and it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter if it's a you know 98 yard bomb or if it's a two yard completion. You go out there and act like that ball. That is the most important catch you're going to make of the day. And, you know, that's what you see. Get out of Michael Thomas. I love the guy. I really yes. do. I, I love everything that guy brings to the table. I wasn't – I have a little rule in my head. You know, you don't draft Ohio State players. Uh, don't draft Ohio State linebackers. Don't draft running backs from Ohio State unless they're Heisman Trophy winners. You know, you don't draft quarterbacks from Ohio State. Uh, but this guy has broken my rule. He is uh, – he is – probably one of the best receivers I've seen the Saints draft in decades. I mean, everyone, this is, he's everyone, Eric Martin with, with speed. Everybody has been this entire preseason uh, time. They've been talking about how this is going to be the most talented receiving core that Drew Brees has ever had. I've been slow to buy into that or to acknowledge that. Because just as quickly as you acknowledge that, then it falls apart. Falls apart. But Sunday, it was in. It was on full display. Now, I, we lost 
and losing sucks. And I'm not going to make any excuses for that. But I'd like to think that there were some positives to come out of this. You consider a week ago today, people were basically given odds on exactly how much of the game it was going to take before Drew Brees was hurt. And given the Saints absolutely no possibility whatsoever of competing in this game, uh, and I, I really, to be fair to Teron Armstead, for three weeks or longer now, all I've heard is how Khalil Mack was going to lay waste to this offensive line and Drew Brees. I've listened to that day after day after day after day. And, and you know, I, from some of the uh, chat groups that we're a part of, every day, man, what is Khalil Mack going to do with Streif? Or what is he going to do to Brees? And there, there were a couple of times when I had to kind of sit there and well, you know, the, the scary thing is, uh, you know, Khalil Mack was held with to zero, basically zero stats. You know, we uh, he they moved him against Armstead, and then he flipped him, put him against Streif. Streif actually, I hate pro football focus. I hate him with a passion. But their grading system uh, is they graded that Streif the highest out of all the offensive linemen. Uh, so, you know, it, it was it was amazing to see that that happened, you know, that they could not get a real pass rush on because the only sack they got really was Drew's fault. I mean, he held that ball for so long. You know, the, the biggest negative I take away from that game, and this carries over to looking at the Giants the following week, you know, once you saw Bro go out with a broken leg, um, the, the defense changed. Uh, you now – I think Crabtree had one reception for eight yards prior yeah. to Bro going down. Once Bro went down, you put Crawley on on uh, Crabtree. Uh, I mean, that's not to say we weren't getting hurt earlier, you know, because obviously Cooper was hurting us in the first half uh, going up against P.J. Williams. But once but they, Crawley – they were much more – they were much more spread out. It was just random shots here and there that they were well, they, substantial. Games. I think I think it was yeah. I think it was uh, six consecutive drives that the uh, Raiders had that they didn't get anything out of it until you got to the fourth quarter. And unfortunately, I'm worried what you saw in the fourth quarter is what you're going to see next Sunday against the Giants. Um, because you've got even better receivers you're going against than what you saw in yeah. Oakland. I mean, Cooper is probably one of the best receivers, young receivers in the NFL. But Odell Beckham comes with all the hype and everything else, and he he can show it on the field. Uh, So you're going to see minus bro. You're going to see P.J. Williams and uh, probably more playing against it with Crawley and Harris coming in matched up against uh, a talented wide receiving group. And we've already said, or I've already said that, you know, you have safety problems because Bird is not the playmaker we thought we were getting. You're going to have to go to a lot of cover two style uh, protection schemes to protect these young corners. They cannot expect these corners to match up one-on-one with these guys and come out okay. Because – yeah. Beckham was chewing up bro last year, you know, now what do you think he's going to do around uh, PJ with PJ Williams? So I'm worried about that, but offensively we have just as good of an offense to match them score for score because you have Drew Brees going against Steve Spagnuolo's defense. And I don't give a rat's butt what you saw in Dallas uh, that's the Cowboys. That's a divisional game. You know, that's what you're going to see. You know, it doesn't matter what the records are. And keep in mind, it was a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back they were playing against. Not an experienced sure. veteran. Yeah, I think Drew can carve up the Giants' defense just as easily as he did last year. He's going to have to. 
So do you think do you think there's validity in what all these people seem to be pointing towards that this Sunday could very well develop into chapter two of what started last year in the dome? I don't know if you're going to see a 52 to 49 kind of game. I don't know if you're going to see that, but you're going to see, you know, within three points, uh, a high scoring game, a very high scoring game. Um, I would not be surprised the Giants jump out early on the Saints and the Saints are playing from behind a lot. You know, I, I just feel that the defense isn't going to be able to stop them at all. Um, the, the key will be turnovers again. You know, if we don't turn the ball over, I mean, we had one turnover yesterday, uh, Sunday. But like I said, if it's two or more, we're not going to win. You know, the one turnover is okay. Two or more is the death sentence for us, and we're not getting turnovers. Um, I don't know where the pass rush is going to come from. I don't think – let me let me back up a little bit. I think David Carr made some incredible plays to avoid sacks when he got some pressure and he completed some passes under heavy pressure. But when we can't do just three guys going after him, we're going to have to blitz people, and that's what's going to make it dangerous for these receivers uh, because those receivers match up one-on-one with any of our defensive backs right now. They're going to win almost every match. But we will, too. Pro- we will, do too. See, do you see the approach on the – at least as far as the, the front seven goes, changing to uh, – to account for the Giants more than it did the Raiders? I think you're going to see more of a four-man front. I think you're going to see Kruger starting instead of coming in for special packages. I think you will see Nick Nick Fairley playing a little bit more, getting some more snaps because he did very well when he was in there. Um. And I think you're probably going to see Laurinaitis come out a little bit more and Craig Robertson play in the middle linebacker position. I think what they did this past week is they tried to have Robertson play the Sam a little bit more. And it's all key on Ellerby. If Ellerby's out there, we're going to see a lot of him blitzing to try and influence because he's your best linebacker as far as speed and instinctiveness. He's your best linebacker. Uh, you know, I, I that's that's just my feeling. I don't know if Ellaby can play, but if he can play, you know, you will see him on blitzes. You're going to see him out there a lot more. Uh, and I just think that Robertson's your best cover linebacker. So sure. that's going to be somebody who's going to go out there. Uh, pro, that's why Anthony didn't play as much the Sam this past uh, this past week you had Robertson out there covering because he can run with the tight end. And, um, you know, on that pass interference call that was, you know, it was really face guarding. That's what they called him for. I I agree the pass was uncatchable. I thought the game was over too, and I was really pissed off, angry. (laughs) I was pissed off. Yeah, well, that they called that because, because it was a fourth down call. The ball was wasn't the, catchable. The game was over. No, and that changed, it was. That changed the end of the game. It and did because – You can call me a homer. You can call me whatever you want to. But by the rules that – that uh, I, you'll never hear me say that the, the referees cost us a ball game. But that, Oh, you'll hear me say that. Oh, oh, I can point out some games where the refs called us a ball game. There's a game from 1989 that I still steamed up about with Jerry Rice, where he fumbled before he crossed the uh, the, the the goal line. Calm down. Oh, yeah, man. that one sticks with me. That Calm one sticks with me. Calm down, man. Your eyebrows are <laughs> that, re- that brings uh, me to uh, our question of the week. Uh, Alex, okay. David Michael Dunphy, buddy of mine, he posted on our, uh, our Facebook page, our linebackers and safeties seem to be the biggest – positive aspect on defense our cornerbacks and defensive line appeared to get beat with the exception of bro do we need to change something on the coaching side do we 
do we switch up the players in those positions or both? What do you think about that? Well, you've got a brand new secondary coach. You've got Aaron Glenn, who this is his first year coaching the secondary. And um, you've got a lot of youth in the secondary, uh, a lot of inexperience. I mean, Crawley and Harris are both undrafted free agents starting their first ever NFL game. Um, so I'm going to cut them a little slack. I thought, you know, even on the two-point conversion play, I thought Crawley had great position. He just missed it. It was just a spectacular grab by Michael Crabtree. Um, they did make some mistakes out there. I'm not going to deny that. Crawley got eaten up a lot because it was like in the fourth quarter, Carr said, wait a minute. They got a guy out there with a 40 number, 48 out there. That's a rookie. That's testing, you know, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's a problem with the coaching on there. And I know people have been after Bill Johnson forever uh, because, for whatever reason, they think that the, that's why our defensive line has been so bad for so long. And my only response to that is, you know, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken feathers. Look at the guys we've had on that defensive line. How many of those guys are really ultra productive? Okay. We've tried to fill in with, you know, free agents. We've tried all kinds of things. We've never had name and impact past rushing defensive end that we've drafted or signed. We can't. We have we don't have one. We haven't had one. Sean Payton has never had one. Even Will Smith at his best. He was no Leroy Glover. He was no Jumpy Gathers. He's no Frank Warren or, you know, uh, even Wayne Martin or Joe Johnson. He's not that level. He's a good player. He was a good complimentary player that worked within a system. Okay? And that's what you've got with Cam Jordan right now. You've got a good complimentary defensive end who works well in a good defensive line. Okay. So is Bill Johnson a problem coach? Is he a bad coach? I mean, I don't know how you can make that assessment because you're asking him to coach with average to below average NFL talent. You're not giving him a JJ Watt and ruining him. You're not giving him a Lori Glover and ruining that guy. You know, that's, that's my issue. Okay. How did, uh, how did Bro get to be so good? Okay. Bro is a good player, and they put him in positions to be successful. That's all a coach can do. So, you know, I, I have a hard time blaming the coaches uh, on these kind of things. I blame coaches when I see things like uh, bad technique consistently. I see – Poor communication out there. You're setting guys up to fail. You are putting people in positions where they cannot make a play. You know, that kind of stuff. The stuff that Rob Bryan did, you know, yeah. when you're burning timeouts because you have people you don't know they're supposed to be out there or, or not lining up properly and stuff like that. That's, that's when I stop blaming coaches for that kind of stuff. You know, the, the, the mental errors. I mean, how do you feel? Well, about I that? think I don't think that you need to. Um, well, I don't know how to say exactly where I'm, my head is at. As far as the players go, you've got you've got young guys, and unfortunately, as it is, uh, you're to the point in the season, or you're in the point at the point in the process now where the only place you're going to gain experience is trial by fire. The only way that these guys are going to learn is from being out there and doing it. Yeah. You're not in training camp anymore. You're not going to have a coach standing behind you saying, okay, on this, you need to look for this and you need to. John McKay. See what uh, you do wrong. Right. John McKay had one of my favorite quotes when it came to about playing rookies and what rookies can do. He said, you know, he said, rookies never learn on the bench. If you're on the bench, you learn how to drink water. 
You learn how to hold a clipboard. You don't learn how to play football. You know, you've got to go out there and experience it and just live and die with the mistakes. Listen, we're not, this is not a Super Bowl team. This is not even really, you know, it has to take a lot of breaks for us to get to be a playoff team. So what's the best way? If you're going to basically throw away a season, okay, if you're going to throw away a season, put the rookies out there and let them learn. And let's see what happens. Uh, and I'm talking about on defense. You know, yeah, statistically it's going to look bad, but you know what? They're going to learn from this, and we're going to be able to see, okay, who the guys we keep, who the guys we get rid of. And next year, you know, yes, it's game one. Where are we talking about next year? But next year, those guys are going to learn, and those guys will be a better player than they were a year ago. And well, you just... Example, uh, you look at the first home game a year ago. The Saints are in the Dome against Tampa Bay, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Did- Delvin Bro makes the come on man thing on ESPN because he's sitting there looking for the ball up in the Superdome lights and the guys behind him in the end zone with it. Right. Made him look like a fool. By the season's end, he was the top three in the league at his position. It's it's a process. Unfortunately, uh we gotta sit through the process. That's the bad part. But you know what? As a non-Saints fan, that game was probably the most entertaining game of the weekend because you had so many lead changes and you had so game much excitement on. going on. Uh, I honestly believe that by now uh, Finnegan would be back on the team. They yeah. In a different direction today, uh, this morning, and signed uh, B.W. Webb from, I believe, the Titans. Yeah, he, he graduated from William & Mary College. He has one interception to his record, and he picked, yes. off Drew, yeah, he picked off Drew in the Titans game for last year. So, I don't know. I mean, hey, whatever. It, so, a prereq- basically what you're saying is a prerequisite to anybody to join our defensive backfield is they have to have intercepted Drew. <laughs> hey, that's been the Saints' M.O., in free agency, as far as I can remember, Michael Haynes lit us up in this in the uh, playoff game in 1991. He becomes a saint. Uh, Eric Allen picks off, you know, Bobby Abair and runs back for a touchdown in 92 playoff game. He becomes a saint. You know, if you kick the Saints' butt in a game, the Saints decide, you know what, we need you on our team. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't even pretend to understand. Uh, thinking behind things like that. So I'm going to be the first one to tell you, uh, and this may be kind of a crass way of looking. Ask for your forgiveness before I put it this way. If someone told me right now that the devil could play cover corner, I would ask (laughs) someone to cut holes in the helmet to allow for his horns. I don't care who. I know what you're saying. I, I, I totally get it. And, you know, I want to win now, too. And my my thing, and this was last year, too, my thing was, are we a better team now than we were before the game started? Are we a better team now than we were before the season started? I felt better, even though I was upset and angry that we lost, I felt better about what I saw Sunday at 30 than I did at noon. Like, oh, my God, please just don't embarrass us on national TV. You know, and then I, what I saw out there, and we came, we did so well in the first three quarters, I was like, you know what? This team could do something. This team has potential to do something. This will be a big upset. It didn't happen. Why it didn't happen. And next week against the Giants, we might get blown out because we played, you know, the offensive line regressed. Um, you know, it, we threw a ton of turnover, had a ton, ton of turnovers with interceptions and fumbles, and we get blown out. You know, and I feel the same way I felt at noon on September 11th. So I don't know. I don't I, I, my thing is, 
I'm looking forward to this game more so than I was the Raiders game to open up the season. How do you feel about that? Oh, are you still frozen? You are still frozen on my end. I'm going to fix this one of these days. Um, let's, uh, while well, he's trying to come back from the dead, let's uh, look at one last thing. Um, we're going to do a new feature at the end of shows called The Extra Point. And we're basically going to go on and talk about things that are on our minds and kind of as the signature thing about football. And since Sean was the one that was really interested in starting this, I'm going to let him go first since I've been talking most of the time. Sean, are you back? Are you? Yeah, man. I, I'm in and out. How are you? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, good, good. So – I think we, I think we're ready to start on the extra point. Um, so, do you have an extra point that you want to bring up? Sure do. And he goes black. <laughs> oh, great! All right, let's. I'll go with my extra point. Um, my extra point. Colin Kaepernick and his merry band of. Ah, good. Colin Kaepernick and Kaepernick. his. Okay. If your cause comes at the expense of someone else's sacrifice, I'm sorry, brother, you have absolutely. Wow. Okay. Poor Sean. We got to tape his segments ahead of time, I think. <laughs> okay. Let me do my extra point real quick while he's and trying to. Something. Oh. Am I coming and going, brother? You are coming and going. You uh, you start to say something and then you freeze. So. Okay. And well, let's try it again. Okay. Colin Kaepernick, if you're going to make a point at the expense of someone else's sacrifice. <laughs> okay. Oh, it, it, Colin Kaepernick is playing with your internet, I think. My extra point is just, it's real short and simple. The, the NFL. Oh, oh, you just looked like you were on speed there real quick. Great. I probably was. Uh, we, I, I was I, what I was saying was I think Colin Kaepernick's uh, sabotaging your uh, your internet connection because every time yeah. you start to say something, you say his name, it freezes. Um, it's it's Doug Baldwin. It's him. <laughs> my my extra points really short and simple. Then we'll see if we can get back to you again. Uh, basically, the NFL. Uh, punished the Saints in 2012 for Bounty Gate and said that the Saints were uh, engaged in behavior that's detrimental to the safety of players. So they came out with new rules, you know, about who can hit the quarterback and where you can hit the quarterback and, and so forth. And we saw on Thursday night uh, Cam Newton get beat up like a pinata, uh, whether or not that's fair or not, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I thought some of the calls were borderline. I did think, you know, that they were out there to hit him because he is a running quarterback. And they were out there to try and get him to make mistakes uh, by hitting him, which that's it is what it is. It is a football game. It's contact. There are going to be hard hits in a game. I know you're not supposed to go to the head, but there are. it happens. My bigger concern with the overall picture of, you know, player safety, if the league is really interested in player safety, if they want to make the league a safer league and it's not about money, do away with Thursday night football. Thursday night football is the biggest joke I have ever seen perpetuated on the fans. The quality of the, quality of the games is not nearly as good as what you see on Sunday. You are accelerating uh, 
work week for football players. They lose their day off, and you essentially from Sunday start working on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday to put a game together for Thursday. Normally, it takes a player anywhere from three to five days to recover after a football game, and you're asking them to play another game, usually a divisional game, on Thursday night football. I hate Thursday night football. I despise it. Thanksgiving is something different. It's tradition, and it's one game, okay, one game. By asking teams each week, and I don't care if that team only plays one Thursday night game, by asking each week to play a Thursday night game, you are watering down the product that you care about. And you are asking players to consistently put themselves out there uh, before their body is fully ready. And then you're going to go and lecture to me on Sunday or in a game when a player gets an unsportsmanlike conduct for brushing a helmet that you're now threatening player safety. Give me a break. Get rid of Thursday night football. You can have a Thanksgiving get Thanksgiving Day game, two games. That's acceptable. It's not acceptable to me to have it every week. I don't need to have football Thursday and Sunday. I just need to have and Monday. Okay, I just need regular Sunday and Monday football and leave it at that. That's my rant. Calm down, brother. Calm down. Oh. All right. So, Colin Kaepernick, what do you okay. have to say about Colin Kaepernick? Don't say the name, man. It's like Beetlejuice. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, my only my, – my point that I was trying to make is when your cause props itself up on top of the sacrifices of others, you have no credibility. You uh, – you want to make us <laughs> oh my god poor Sean poor Sean he can't finish his thought it just cuts him off right there in the middle of to use right now I, I can hear you you know I got you there just a little bit so <laughs> I was give us the clip notes try and saying that there was some word oh I don't get it I really don't because uh, we had this issue Saturday night too um all right while he's trying to come back from limbo I want to thank real quick thank the guys at um, first fan productions for sponsoring our show uh Fan first, sorry. Fan first productions. I have to write this down in crayon somewhere, so I'll make sure to remember this. By the um, way, I'm back. Good, good. <laughs> Fan first productions for sponsoring our show. If I you want to hear, if you want to see this show without having to look at either Sean or I, we are on iTunes. You can hear the audio version of this podcast. We are on YouTube at Under the Dome. Uh, I'm going to start advertising this on my Facebook page because I just enjoy getting ridiculed by my friends and family. Um, so please follow us. Uh, and we're also on, um, we're on Twitter uh, under, under, under the dome. And is there any other site I forgot to mention? New Orleans Saints, the Facebook group, please come and find us there. Uh, you'll get at, to see. Yes. At oh. under the dome PO one. Thank you. At Undo one Twitter, our Twitter account. Please come see us in New Orleans Saints group, uh, the Facebook page, um, because you'll get to see some of the history stuff I put out there. Um, I put out recently my uh, my 50th anniversary Saints team. Uh, and then yesterday I put on some clips from the 1991 season. I, uh, I got crazy one time. I decided to tape every NFL primetime highlight of the 1991 season that I could find. And what I would do is I'd watch this thing at 7, and then I'd wait and stay up till 11 o'clock at night, know exactly what was coming on, and record it. So I put a couple of clips on there so you get to see the Dome Patrol back in the day. Uh, and the whole reason why I put it up there is because I have one where Morton Anderson kicked the 60-yard field goal, and 
talk about missing at 61 yarders, what brought that one on. Uh, I've, I'll try and put some more clips on either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, I put all kinds of things in the Wayback Machine, uh, old games. Uh, you'll see Archie Manning is prime. You'll see Wes Chandler, Chuck Muncie, anything I can find that I find in the Internet or stuff that I've got, I'll try and throw on there. So please come and see us in that group. We want to thank you guys, as always, for uh, for supporting us and taking part in what we do. Uh, for, you know, without you guys, there is no us. And that means the world to Alan and I. Uh, you can reach out to us on our Facebook, Under the Dome Podcast. You can email us at underthedomepodcast at gmail.com. And we... We absolutely love to interact with you guys. So uh, you reach out to us, talk to us, let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you expect, and uh, what you want to hear and see from us. Yes, please send us as many questions as you can. We're glad to answer them. It gives us stuff to talk about rather than just constantly ran our opinion. Um, <laughs> and uh, as always, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next Sunday on Under the Dome. Uh, next Tuesday, sorry, Under the Dome. Good night, everybody. See you later, guys.